first reading is from Philippians chapter 2, reading from verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility and consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The second reading this morning is uh, from uh, the, uh, Acts, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Peter heals the crippled beggar. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles were strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here ends the reading. 
It really is nice to be here this morning, and uh, we always enjoy coming. At this time of the year, we feel that uh, a ray of sunshine in the darkness of winter comes into our lives, having been at Thomas Risley Church. I had another joke that I was going to tell the, the children, and as I don't often come here, whenever I've got a joke, I feel I must impart it. Uh, it's not really funny, but never mind. It's, um, it's about three balloons, mother balloon, father balloon, and baby balloon. And baby balloon woke up one night, couldn't get to sleep, and so he went into mother and father balloon's bedroom and tried to get into bed between them. But he couldn't, there just wasn't room. And so what he did, he let out a bit of air in father balloon and then tried to get between them, but he still couldn't do it. So he let out a bit of air from mother balloon and tried to get in between them, but still couldn't. So he let a bit of air outside, out of himself. And then he just managed to get between them and went off to sleep. And the next morning, his father was furious, absolutely furious with him. He'd never been as annoyed with his son as he was that morning. And he said, you are a disgrace, he said. You have let your mother down. <laughs> you have let your father down. And what is worst of all, you have let yourself down. That's what I mean, it's not really funny, but I wanted to tell it. It sets the tone for the rest of this morning. Uh, the theme is Jesus and the name of Jesus and what's in a name. Now, Betty is convinced that I've spoken about this before here, but uh, I don't think I have. And uh, if I have, then we've got the last hymn soon. So, uh, what's in a name? Well, my name is Philip, I think you know that, and it means lover of horses. And no one could be less a lover of horses than me, or horses less a lover of me than horses. And uh, wherever we go, we avoid them like the plague. And uh, it's the same with cows too. Cows. I absolutely abhor cows, and I can't stand them. They, they come towards me. I think they sense my fear, and they actually make a beeline for me. We were walking down a country lane once, Betty and I, on holiday, and a herd of cows came towards us. They were either going for milking or coming from milking, and there was this narrow lane, we were in it, and there were these cows coming towards us. And unless we turned tail and ran, which was my first thought, we had to do something. So there was a little kind of niche in the hedge and I sort of cowered back into the hedge. And do you know what Betty did? She stood in front of me like that. <laughs> she saved me from a fate worse than death with those cows. Now, I, I really don't like animals very much, um, especially the big ones. But um, my name is spelt... Uh, in, in the, what is the usual way for a Christian name. The surname is, is slightly different, isn't it, uh, if you think about it. 
but when I was visiting my uh, sister, when I was much younger, in Wrexham, there was a little boy next door who, uh, he was a very talkative little boy, just started school. And I said to him, as adults do say to children, what's your name? And he said, Philip. And I said, my name's Philip, too. And he said, do you want me to spell it? You know, having just started school, I said, yes. He said, I put an hurt and it ain't a lot, and not a lot, and it ain't a put. <laughs> and I said, oh, I only have one lot in mine. I said, mine's just a put and hurt and it ain't a lot, and it ain't a put. <laughs> Can you say your name like that? Yeah? So, there you are. Uh, Philip. So, Betty, unfortunately, has a name that is given to anything lowly and downtrodden. And have you noticed that in plays, especially period plays, the skivvy in the kitchen is usually called Betty. <laughs> or the milkmaid, Betty the milkmaid. Or, if they're on a farm, Betty the cow. Or Betty, she has suffered great indignities with her name down the years. But the name is the title. We are who we are. We are what our name is. And um, the use, when I was in, in charge of a church before I retired, the use of the word reverend uh, whenever I was getting in touch with officials uh, in any um, organisation, usually the council, and usually on behalf of someone else, let me hastily add, um, I would get in touch with the chief executive uh, because I have always felt that if you go right to the top, you're more likely to get some response than if you talk to the person on the end of the phone. And so I always asked for the chief executive... And they said, who's calling? And if I just said, uh, Philip Kennelly from uh, Balcarras Road, wherever it was, or Newenden Road, Wigan, and so, this kind of thing, then uh, they would say, just one moment, please. And then they'd say, I'm afraid he's not available, he's in a meeting. And so I soon discovered early in my ministry that it was much better to say, uh, when they said, who is that speaking? This is the Reverend Philip Kennelly. I'll put you straight through, sir. And just by using that title, it's wrong, but just by the use of that title, you had an introduction where your normal name doesn't. And that's wrong, but the power of a title can be there. When uh, there was a, 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 a priest in Leyland, where I was at the local Roman Catholic Church, St Mary's, they had four priests, and one of them was the junior curate, and he was purely concerned with pastoral work around the neighbourhood. Didn't take any services or anything like that, just pastoral work. And uh, the man who was the junior curate while I was there, or for part of the time, was a man called Abbot Byrne. He had been Abbot of Ampleforth in his younger days. He retired at 75. He was five years in a priest's home. And he couldn't get out of it quick enough. The thought of living with other priests all the time, retired, it, it got him down. And so at the age of 80, he applied for the post of junior curate 
at St Mary's in Leyland, and it was accepted. And for 14 years, he was, as it were, the, the seat and the soul of pastoral work right across the whole ecumenical spectre, uh, spectrum, uh, uh, spectrum uh, uh, of Leyland. He was wonderful, and he was accepted by many churches. He never pushed anything. He just spoke to people. He went into homes that other people, other clergy were not invited into. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, when he died at age 94, um, he, of course, as an ex-abbot, well-known, had a full requiem mass, and he had people, the hierarchy. There were three cardinals present, two archbishops, and one papal nuncio. And he had a Methodist minister and me taking part in his service, because he didn't want any of them lot. He wanted the ordinary people with whom he'd worked. And that was wonderful. But there were a group of us in a car, and uh, this is the point of the story. Uh, we went that evening, we were been told to park at the presbytery, where we normally park when we had a meeting there. And uh, we got there, it was a cold winter's night, and we were scarves and everything. And we got to the entrance, and an officious-looking man said, No parking here. So I wound down the window, and I undid my scarf, flashed my collar, and he said, straight ahead, Father. <laughs> so you see, there is power, and there is authority in certain titles and certain insignia. It's very strange. But equally, you can have the association with a name. We're very weak and frail and mortal, and we like to think sometimes that we are associated with people in high places. And we like to name drop, if we can. Now, these people are not necessarily the great and the good, but well-known, so that people will know. And uh, it's quite good to name drop in conversation. You know, I was with so-and-so the other week. We were talking about, you know, that kind of thing. One-upmanship. Um, now, I've got some name dropping. I know Colin Welland. Colin Welland, who looked wrote the screenplay for Chariots of Fire and who started off as an actor in um, Z Cars. Well, his name was not Colin Welland, it was Colin Wilson, and I grew up with him. And uh, we've known each other right down the years, so I know Colin Welland, you see. And uh, through our son James, who was the actor, uh, we've met quite a number of top actors, Alf Garnett. I remember well. Um, uh, Warren Mitchell, delightful person, delightful person, not at all like the character he portrayed. And, uh, and then through our singing son, who is now a singing funeral director, <laughs> um, our singing son, we've met uh, operatic stars, and they've been in the home, and they've nearly always had chips. <laughs> We're very fond of chips in our home. And uh, it's amazing, you see these these stars, you know, sitting down to a plate of chips. It uh, seems to come down, but they seem to enjoy it. Yes, so, so we, can, uh, we can name drop with anybody, <coughs> if, we, if we wish. We don't, of course. We wouldn't dream of it. Um, there's an old song that comes from the 1930s. I danced with a man who danced with a girl 
who danced with the Prince of Wales. And there, as you see, you've got an association at second, third or fourth hand. But you've got it, a kind of reflected glory through the name. And uh, we can even use our children to get some reflected glory. If they've done well, we feel good about it. If they've not, we don't say anything. But um, I had a, a, well, I have a colleague, David Wiseman, uh, who had been on an exchange uh, trip to America, uh, who came back and he said to me, shake hands, Phil, with the hand that has shaken the hand of George Foreman. I think of that. Shake hands with the hand that has shaken the hand of George Foreman. Do you know who George Foreman was? Yeah, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. A dreadful sport. But nevertheless, association with a name. And we, we quite like it, really. But uh, then the name is the person. For instance, uh, we have the ability to say a name or someone say a name in our presence and for us to, as it were, press the button on the computer of our mind and a photograph, a photographic image of that person comes in our mind. So we say the name of a person and we see the person in our minds. So if you sort of said George Brown, you would see a picture in your mind of George Brown or David Cameron or Nick Clegg. I have to be partial, impartial in these matters, you see. But um, a little boy I spoke to uh, about this said, what, what, uh, what, what do you, who do you think of? He said, Mr. Barnes. I said, oh yes. I said, who's Mr. Barnes? He said, the dentist. <laughs> so that's a face that came to him quite uh, easily when the name was said. Now, in Jewish thought, when the name was mentioned, it was the same as having the person present, almost like saying the name of the person and being able to see uh, the person in your mind. But in Jewish thought, the name mentioned was the same as having the person present. So that's why the Jews never said the name of God. They use um, other names instead. Jehovah, Sovereign Lord, anything like that. But they would not use the name of God because to say the name was in effect to have the person present. And so they didn't do that. And of course they believed that there was power. The power of the person was in the name. And so, uh, this is why we, we find, as Christians, exclamations which are so common today, like, Jesus Christ, my God, you know, we find them so offensive and so blasphemous. Uh, they're blasphemous to Christians and they're blasphemous to Jews. They're blasphemous, really, for anyone who's religious. They're worse than swearing for us. Because we have a commandment which says, do not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And therefore it sounds so awful to me when I hear Christians or people of other faiths say these exclamations. 
I can accept it when it comes from people who have no connection with the church whatsoever and for whom it's just an exclamation and it means nothing. But when it does mean something, then somehow I think people ought to question uh, what they say. But, um, don't use the name lightly because the name is the person and there is power in the person and therefore through the person in the name. So it's this theme, this, uh, this thought, the power of the name. This lovely story we had for our second reading from Book of Acts. The cripple who was taken to the gate beautiful in Jerusalem every day to beg. In the authorised versions he begged for alms. And there's a lovely commentary where someone said, he begged for arms and he got legs. But, uh, he asked for money for J from James and John. They were going up to the temple, Peter and John. And uh, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The power of the name the power in the name. If we look at uh, Simon himself, firstly when we meet him he was Simon the fisherman and then he became Simon the follower. And Then after he made the wonderful statement, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, he became Peter, the rock. And then he was Peter the leader, he was Peter the preacher, he was Pe Peter the healer, but only and always for Peter in the name of Jesus. And then the story of the, that we had this morning afterwards, it following, uh, it comes after the healing and after the preaching, the disciples were arrested and they were brought before the high priests. And the high priest said to them, <coughs> by what power or by whose name have men such as you done this? Nobody's, in other words. By what power? This is the high priest talking. By what power and by or by whose name have men such as you done this? And Peter replied, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The first mission statement, as it were, of the church. And his name in, the in his own day and afterwards his name provided escape from infirmity for many people, entry into a whole new world of freedom and movement, the power of his name. All our prayers end with the phrase, we ask this, we offer this in the name, in the spirit of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus the power of the name. So what's in a name? Well, there can be power, there can be authority, there can be love, there can be caring. But also if we say certain people's names, we think of evil and sadism and hurt and hate. So in the name, we see the attribute of that person. But from a Christian point of view, there can be a receiving of power within 
from the association with someone or belonging to something, and that someone or something for us is Jesus. He adopts us into his wide family by his spirit. We become his people. We are then granted this tremendous privilege to be his followers, to be examples of Jesus in our day and age. He allows us, you know, that's a wonderful phrase, he allows us to be his hands and his feet and his voice. He needs us to do his work. He has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no voice but our voice to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring men to his side. And we can do nothing without the power of his name. So there you have it. The power of a name, the power of his name. I close with going back to the idea of name dropping. Uh, in the cathedral some months ago, uh, we had the opening of the garth, the garden, the central garden uh, inside the cloisters. It had been three years in the remaking, as it were, replanting, and quite a lot had been done to it. And of course, there was an official opening. And when there's an official opening of anything in the cathedral, the bishops there, the deans, they're all in their finery. You know, they have to have a service first, and then they go outside, and some notable person knocks on the door, and they open it, and they say, we declare this garden officially open, you see. And uh, they'd got the Lord Lieutenant and his wife there, Lord Lieutenant of Cheshire, Colonel Bromley Davenport and his wife. And uh, uh, we, minions, were told to keep out of the way. We could go in for a cup of coffee and a piece of cake, but that's all, uh, while the, uh, the people, the great and the good, were dealing with the bishop and the dean and all the top-notch people. And uh, I was with one of the vergers, and we were eating, uh, drinking some coffee and eating a piece of cake. Very nice cake it was, too. And a lovely fruit cake. Rich it was. Can, can taste it now. But, um, um, have you got any afterwards? Uh, but uh, we were standing there chatting, and Mrs. Bromley Davenport detaches herself from the great and the good, and she came across to me. To me, of all people. I had my collar and my gown on, of course, and I looked apart. And uh, she said, are you Philip? I said, yes. She said, ah, well, I'm a friend of Ida Smith. Now, Ida Smith was a great friend of ours at Wigan, our last church. And her husband was a deputy Lord Lieutenant. In other words, the Lord Lieutenant can't do everything that happened, and so he has deputies in different parts. I think there are four of them in different parts of the county. And uh, Harold Smith was one such, and a delightful man. And, um, and, and Ida is a great friend of ours. And about twice a year, the Lord Lieutenant's wife and the other um, deputy Lord Lieutenant's wives and widows, they all meet together for a meal. 
and she's quite friendly with Ida Smith. And she said that she'd told Ida that she was going to go to the cathedral in a few weeks to do this thing, you see, open this garden. And uh, Ida said, oh, well, I have a friend, Philip Kennelly, a minister here, and he's a chaplain at at the cathedral on a Saturday. So if it's his Saturday, you know, have a word with him. He's, he's, He's really nice. That's what Mrs. Bramley Davenport said. <laughs> I'm, just re- I'm just repeating what she said. And, um, and so she came over to me and she said, Are you Philip? And I said, Yes. She said, Well, as I said, I know Ida. You know, she said, You're nice. So she told me a joke, actually. I've forgotten it completely. And we chatted for about five minutes. She had a cup of coffee with us and another piece of cake. It was an excuse to have another piece of cake, you see, with her. And... Uh, you could see in the background the bishop was looking at his watch, you see, and the dean was going like this and saying, shall we go and get her back, you know, and all this, that and the other. And uh, we, the verger and I, were chatting away quite deliberately as long as we possibly could. <laughs> and in the end, the dean came over and said, I think, Mrs. Davenport, you know, that uh, we, we'd better move on. He said, I'm very sorry. I would like to have chatted much longer with you. So I would just like to leave you with the fact that um, I don't drop names very often, but I know quite well the uh, wife of the Lord Lieutenant of Cheshire, and uh, I'm sure you're glad to know that. But I I say that because I want to leave you with this question, really. When we're thinking of Jesus, and when we're in company, and when we're in conversation with other people, How often do we drop his name into the conversation? And now in the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with you, rest and remain with you, this Sunday morning and for always. Amen.